Our passage this morning comes from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. Because these are always given in the Gospel accounts together, I'll back up and read as our passage, Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. Uh, But we will focus upon verses 6 through 11 this morning in the sermon. Before I read, though, let's go to the Lord in prayer that he had blessed the reading and preaching of his word. Our Father and our God, we come again before you. Uh, We come to sit at the feet of the evangelist Luke. We ask, Father, that you would give us, again, the same spirit that you gave him, that he might dwell within our hearts, and that he might write these words there, that he might plant them there, that they might produce fruit. Uh, We ask, dear Lord, that you would give us thoughtful hearts this morning, teachable hearts, uh, that are correctable and reprovable, uh, that seek to be instructed in your righteousness, uh, that we might bear those fruits to your glory in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Here now the reading of the God's holy word, given in the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. And it came to pass on the second Sabbath after the first, that he went through the cornfields, and his disciples plucked the ears of corn and did eat, rubbing them in their hands. And certain of the Pharisees said unto them, Why do you do that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath days? And Jesus answered them, saying, Have you not read as much, so much as this, uh, what David did when himself was a hungered, and they were with him, they that were with him, how he went into the house of God and did take and eat of the showbread, and gave it also to them that were with him, which it is not lawful to eat, but for the priest alone. And he said unto them, The Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. And it came to pass also on another Sabbath, that he entered into the synagogue and taught. And there was a man whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him, whether he would heal on the Sabbath day that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts, and said to the man which had the withered hand, Rise up, and stand forth in the midst. And he arose, and stood forth. Then said Jesus unto them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath days to do good, or to do evil? To save life, or to destroy it? And looking round about them all, he said unto the man, Stretch forth thy hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored whole as the other. And they were filled with madness and communed one with another what they might do to Jesus. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever, and his people said, Amen. Jesus himself gives us the, uh, the great purpose of this passage, the, the thing that we want to ponder and, and to consider, the question uh, that Jesus asks in, uh, is it verse, verse 9? Uh, to do good or to do evil? What is permitted on the holy day? The question almost answers itself as soon as it is asked. The Sabbath is the day of rest given unto uh, the church. Uh, the, the old Sabbath on the seventh day of the week 
uh, was, was attended with a great deal of relief from servile labor uh, for uh, thee, thy son and thy daughter, thy manservant and thy maidservant, and even thy cattle and the stranger that is within thy gate, as the commandment goes uh, in Exodus 20. It is a day of, of great a joy to a people that are given to great labor. Oftentimes in our day, uh, we think of it more as a burden because uh, we are somewhat uh, relieved of a lot of the labor of our forefathers. In Jesus' day, too, in the Roman Empire, it was a moneyed economy and there were many that did not labor. And then... Uh, saw the day as somewhat uh, burdensome, or rather an opportunity to inflict even more burdens. So what constituted holiness? There is an idea in the world that holiness is a burdensome thing. That holiness is something outside of man's natural capacity that is placed on him to to make him miserable. Uh, We often look at, at those that are concerned about holiness in a negative light. Just think of the, the, the language we use, holier than thou, and uh, a holy roller, and things of that nature. And, and we can subconsciously buy the lie of the devil, of sin, that, that holiness is a burden. Of course, Christ tells us, that it is the great liberty. Because only in holiness can we be what we were created to be. Only in holiness can we find our life and good because it is only in holiness that is untouched by corruption that we can be fitted for life everlasting. That's not so much in the fore of the question, uh, but it is behind the question. What sort of Lord is our Lord? What sort of laws does he give? And of course, doing good is the answer. It is the most fitting thing for the Sabbath day uh, to do good and to save life. And this is is Jesus' rhetorical question. He presents it as a sort of mist in the language here, but it's there. I will ask you one thing. He is, he is entering into a theological dispute. This is given as a sort of an exercise, what we might uh, find in, in a seminary or collegiate thing, a sort of de- a debate, uh, a, an argumentum in the old medieval fashion. Uh, Jesus was drawing these Pharisees into a rabbinical discussion about what was allowed on the Sabbath day. The irony here and, and the The sadness of this is that Jesus doesn't bring here a hard, disputed point. He brings up something that is simple and obvious. That something that even his uh, his, uh, scribes and Pharisee interlocutors, his, his adversaries, would admit as an obvious thing. That obviously it is right to do good on the Sabbath and to save life. And it is wrong to do wickedly. Even his enemies allowed this sort of mercy to livestock. If you turn to chapter 14, you'll find 
uh, Luke brings these incidents. Uh, Jesus was in the habit of doing his good works, his miracles on the Lord's day, uh, on the Sabbath day. Excuse me, Lord's day is a bit different. Uh, on the Sabbath days, uh, it was the most proper time to do so. If you, uh, but it was also a time when many would sort of uh, uh, chafe and and quibble and find fault in. Luke 14, 1, Jesus on the Sabbath day goes to take meal, what we would call Sunday dinner, Saturday dinner, whatever, with the Pharisees. He's invited to his house and he goes. Uh, but there is someone with a, uh, a dropsy. And, and Jesus brings forth the question again, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? They wouldn't speak because uh, they sensed a trap. Not that Jesus is doing it to entrap him, but to heal In order to meet the objection, he says to them in verse 5, Which of you shall have an ass or an ox fallen into a pit and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him. This is where we get the ox in the ditch. Uh, It comes out of Exodus 23 and Deuteronomy 22. The first paragraph's there. But... It was clear in Jesus, the force of Jesus' argument would fall to de- on deaf ears if, if they didn't admit to the legitimacy of doing just that sort of thing. You see it even more strikingly in the previous chapter, chapter 13, uh, verses 15 and 16, after he has cured a woman. And the, the, the head of the synagogue is, is irate. And he, he says to them, he says, There are six days in which men ought to work, and then therefore come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. And the Lord answered him and said, verse 15, Thou hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and let him go, on, go his way to, uh, to lead him the way to watering? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has bound low these 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed, as they ought to have been. This, if, if his enemies allowed this kindness to livestock, how absurd is it to withhold it from those that bear the image of God? How absurd it is to withhold it from one's neighbor, whom the law itself, love thy neighbor as thyself. Jesus doesn't just give that as a fresh law from heaven, but as part of the Mosaic law, Leviticus 19, in the, in the most lawfully of the law books, love thy neighbor. It should be noted that in Exodus 23, verse 5, or Deuteronomy 22, 4, where both of these sorts of notions about the ox and the ditch or, or the cattle, or even your enemy in Exodus 22, or 23, it's your enemy. In Deuteronomy 22, it's your countryman, your, your brother. Uh, but in both of these situations, it's about the kindness you owe to, to your neighbor and the love you owe to them and to their cattle. It has nothing whatsoever to say about the Sabbath day. It could be if you had really hard-hearted scribes and Pharisees, they would have said these things commanded about getting the ox out of the ditch did not apply to the Sabbath day. But then you would have had the absurd notion that you had an animal in great distress and you were just going to leave it there 
probably wouldn't survive because the day was holy. Instead of bringing glory to God, everybody instinctively knew it would bring dishonor. Because everyone instinctively knew what Jesus told the, the, um, on the previous occasion. That the Sabbath, the man wasn't made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath for man. That the Lord God is Lord of the Sabbath. And they allowed that as fitting. Jesus Christ as the Messiah also is sovereign over the Sabbath. And it has to be fitting to the Messiah. So how much more fitting then it is to love our neighbor? In verse 10, Jesus looking around them all, upon them all. uh, It is said by, I, I believe it's Mark, that he looks upon them with indignation. With anger, because he found their hearts to be hard, and they weren't even willing to give here. So he says to the man, stretch forth thy hand. It's, it's, notice in, in Luke's account, he's very clear to tell us which hand it is. It's his right hand. It's the hand that he works for. It is the uh, hand that, uh, that he gains his living by. And so this man on the Sabbath day was given his working hand back to him. And note also that this was no labor for Jesus. Jesus oftentimes, in his compassion, made it a point to touch or to to do something about the way he healed. The blind man, he touched his eyes. The deaf man, he touched his ears. The leper, he touched him. Things that the neighbor would not do, the, the, the Pharisee would never do. Jesus shows his compassion in touching, but here on the Sabbath day, out of a great deal of, of compassion, not for the withered man with the withered hand, but for his enemies that were very, uh, that were very sensitive to the notion of work on the Lord's day. A lot of this is not part of the Sabbath laws of the Old Testament. As we saw last week, a lot of this were the tradition of men that often undid the Sabbath laws and made them a burden. But Jesus, nevertheless, will recognize that and in deference to their conscience, he just speaks, stretch forth your hand. He doesn't lift a finger. And the man is healed. And they are angry. Which is also one of the things that we need to notice about this. Uh, This passage gives us one of those places about, last week we saw works of necessity. The the Sabbath keeping uh, in the Old Testament and then Lord's Day keeping in the New. But even in any of our religious duties... They are to, with an eye to our necessities, an eye to our good. They are not designed to be burdensome. They are designed to help us. But here also we see that a very appropriate for the Sabbath day, and therefore also appropriate for the Lord's day, is works of mercy and love. But also we see the heart of the hypocrite exposed. The hypocrites here, the Pharisees, the scribes, They were sanctifying evil and destruction. 
This is the, the trap that he puts them in, in a way. I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath day to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? You might think that this is a false dichotomy, but it's not. If it is not good, then it is evil. Because evil doesn't have a, a substance of its own. It doesn't have a, a, a fundamental being of its own. It is merely the corruption of what is good. If you, if you, if you have a wonderful cantaloupe and you leave it too long, it's not going to change into something else. But all that good, that sweet, will start to, to, to ferment upon itself and ripen, and it will be nasty. Right? You have to be careful that you don't leave it too long. That, that evil is not something that comes in from outside. Very often it comes in as a corruption of what is good. And when the, the Pharisees would look at this man here with a withered hand on the, Lord's, on the Sabbath day, where you had the Messiah who was well known to them as one who healed and had power over wickedness and had power over disease, had power over leprosy, had power over the devils. And they don't see this as an opportunity and rejoice. This man has come into this synagogue on the same day that the Christ has come into the synagogue Blessed be the name of the Lord that this man will find deliverance. Let's wait and see how the Lord Jesus Christ will shine forth the glory of God in heaven. That's what a right heart would seek. That's a heart that seeks the glory of God. That's what they would in that situation be thinking. But they see this man's misery as a tool to bring into condemnation their enemy. Their notions would have the man suffer, even if it was for another day, they would nevertheless have the man have more suffering. That was their good. And they lay a snare when they ought to rejoice. James tells us, in a different context, but to the same point. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, it, to him it is sin. They see the good that's possible. And they are using it to ensnare. This is the situation that Isaiah warns about. Of gross wickedness. This is something we experience in our society today at every levels of our society. To call evil good and good evil. This is the danger of hypocrisy itself. When you are not devoted to the Lord but are only attached to the outward accoutrements of godliness. The outward appearance of godliness. You need to beware because your heart will start to resent true godliness. And then your mind will start to connive with your will and you will start to perceive what is truly godly and good as, as an affront and an offense. And you will blaspheme the Holy Spirit and you will not be forgiven because you will be blind to your need of forgiveness. It is a, a snowball. The danger. It is the great danger 
of coming and enjoying the privileges of the Word of God week in, week out, day in, day out, moment in, moment out, and yet not giving your heart to them. Because you will invert them, corrupt them, and destroy their good for you. Note how to the point Jesus' question is in this regard. If they're not seeking to do good and preserving the life of their brother, they're seeking to do evil and destroy it and to give full force to it. Notice how they respond. They have been met on the ground of reason and they can't give a reason to answer him. So as is the notion and typical response of mankind, they respond with violence, not direct violence. They haven't done it yet. But in verse 11, we read they were filled with madness. The Greek can be read they lost their mind and communed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Mark tells us they conspired with the Herodians to destroy him. Matthew says that they are at that point had determined to kill him. That at least these Galilean Pharisees had decided that there was no Contradicting Jesus, there was no getting him on their side. There was no uh, uh, arguing with him. He had to be destroyed. They decide that their path, the way that they will sanctify the Sabbaths, the way that they will ostensibly honor the Lord God, is to destroy life and to do wickedness. And to do evil. This is the great tragedy of Jesus' preaching. Uh, this is the hardness of the heart of the self-righteous as such and drawn in such stark relief. This is why that, that the ones that he pulled in were, were sinners. And those rejected by the society because they were the only ones outside of this sort of... Uh, Propaganda, if you will, that true holiness was burdensome and true holiness uh, involved keeping the traditions that undid the word of God. It's what all of us here today, as faithful sons and daughters of the church, must be on guard about in our own hearts. Because there are different sins and different uh, to the worldly They are subject to different temptations than you and I are. Uh, But theirs are no more destructive and really not more dangerous than the temptations that you and I face in considering ourselves at peace with God when there is no peace. When we consider ourselves sufficiently righteous, when we haven't embraced the righteousness of Jesus Christ. What we learn in this passage We can apply to Lord's Day observances. It's not that the Sabbath and the Lord's Day are exactly the same, but they fit in the same moral law, the one day in seven to be sanctified unto the Lord. Uh, The writer of the Hebrews tells us in verse 9 of chapter 4 that there does remain uh, in Christian discipline a Sabbath keeping. Uh, It is one of joy. It's one of rest. It is not as burdensome as even the good law of the Old Testament was. But it is nevertheless given for our good, if we will see it, 
and it is given as a day for doing good. So what are the things? How do we sanctify the Lord's day? We sanctify the Lord's day by gathering together to hear the word of God. We sanctify the Lord's day by by not letting the worldly concerns and world, even good, legitimate worldly concerns get away, get in the way of our opportunity to come to the house of the Lord and to know the communion of the saints, to share in each other's lives. It also is a day for doing things necessary, and there's no command against that. And if it's necessary for you to move about, you need to move about. If it's necessary for you to do something to honor the Lord God, you need to do it. If you need to be fed, you need to eat. It's also a day of mercy and acts of love and doing good. We have very busy schedules nowadays. And even when we don't have busy schedules, we have very intrusive distractions It's amazing how that little computer that you carry in your pocket can zap your time. It's given to us as a great uh, 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 efficiency tool uh, to give us more time to do the things that we want to do. And very often what it's really doing is like a vampire sapping all of your life and energy. And if you struggle to find the time in, in work, in, in family, juggling family concerns, if you struggle to find the time in, in, because you suffer and it's hard to get the things done you need to get done uh, because of pain or chronic whatever, here's the day that you have an excuse, not only an excuse, even a command, to let a lot of good things go undone so you can do the better thing. Six days are given for you to be Martha. One day is given for you to be Mary. Six days are given for all the work that the Lord your God knows that you need to do. But if you will hear him and take his instructions about your good seriously, you will nevertheless have time to... to To bring a meal to somebody who needs it, to visit somebody that's lonely, to make that phone call that that you keep putting off, to say the kind words that you need to say, to have that hard conversation with someone that you need to have. This is a day ideal for it. It's the day God has given for our mercy. Christ himself sanctifies that day as a day of doing good. He does this here. That this is the lawful thing to do, to do good, to preserve life. How much more appropriate when he puts his his actions to work and raises himself from the dead on this day. Not for his good, as good as it was, but for your good. For our justification, as Paul tells us at the last verse of Romans 4. The Lord's Day is a day of doing good. It is a day ideally designed to love, to seek the other's well-being, to show mercy. But we need to beware of a begrudging heart. As we read this passage, we need to also give serious attention to the behavior and the 
the, the ways of those that were set against Jesus Christ. We need to bring our own heart to that measurement. Anytime you are resisting the good, for whatever reason, you're doing the evil. And you're opening the door for more evil. You are dulling your heart to what is right and just, true and beautiful. And you're really building a cage and your burden that will bring you down into hell. Even if you were every day there in the church. Remember, there will be those at the last day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out devils in your name and do good in your name? And he will say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. But Jesus was raised from the dead this day. That that burden doesn't have to be your burden. He was raised again this day with power over the deepest and darkest sin so that you will be able to put away self-righteousness, that you will be able to put away pride, that you will be put away the judgmental spirit and cling to Jesus Christ. It is not without purpose that Luke himself records for us in Acts chapter 6 that many of those very people that had set themselves against Jesus Christ in the gospel, the priests, the scribes, and the Pharisees, came to put their faith in him. Jesus warns them, different place in a different time, that they are, they're, they're running up about guilty to, to blaspheme the Holy Spirit in which there will be no forgiveness of sins. But he's also capable of rescuing them from that. And that should encourage you all the more to be honest with yourself this day. Because if you find that self-righteous, pharisaical spirit, judgmental, begrudging spirit in your heart, Christ can put it away. You can humble yourself before him. And he will give you freedom. Because as merciful as it was, to take that withered hand of that worker and give it back to him. To give you a new heart, a heart that will not perish, a heart freed from sin, is far more loving and merciful and up his alley. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come before you this morning in the name of Jesus Christ. And we praise you, dear Lord, that you do good. We praise you, dear Lord, that you love us. We praise you, dear Lord, that even when you chastise us, it is for our benefit that we might put on everlasting life. We ask, dear Lord, that you would put afar from us a begrudging, self-righteous heart, that you would humble us, and that you would give us to do your will today, that we would delight to honor this day in mercy and love to one another, uh, to those even uh, that have been uh, a burden and a, an offense to us, that we might seek to repair the breach and that we might seek to glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.